0: Amen. All of God's people said? Amen. That was wonderful singing. Amen? Uh, good evening. We're thankful for your presence here tonight to celebrate the Lord's table. Tonight I'll be giving a, a, a brief word of meditation. Before I do that, I um, want to ask this young man to come here a moment. This morning I was supposed to ask him to do this, but he forgot. I, I'm so, I mean, I forgot. Terence uh, spent last week in uh, part of it in California and his first speaking major speaking engagement as a youth pastor. so I want him to share just before we begin today. all right, exactly what happened there Man, is that what you learned away Red
1: check there you go no i did but I did get to use one of those fancy uh Microphones.
0: You're growing up, you're growing up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Only the big-time speakers get to use those. That's why I don't get to use them here, only you get to use them. <laughs> um, no, uh, I got to go to California last week. Um, Pastor Sean invited me to uh, go to speak to his youth group at their winter retreat, um, which, you know, I'm sure you all are just as surprised as I was, and he would ask me to come, you know, should be the other way around. But... um uh, I was very surprised, but, but it was a great opportunity for me to go over and to speak to his, to his youth group. Um, they, we had about 100 teens uh, going to their winter retreat at the camp. Uh, the camp started, they were supposed to get there on Friday at 6.30. They didn't get to the camp until midnight, um, and they still decided to do a session. So I had to speak for five sessions, and... Um, I didn't get, actually get speaking until Saturday morning at 1 o'clock in the morning, which was like 4 a.m. here. So, um, and it was zero degrees outside up in the mountain. So it was, it was very cold. But um, it, it was, I got to play some snow football and go skiing and, and all that. That was fun. But um, the speaking was, I spoke from the book of Jonah. And we just went through the whole book of Jonah in five sessions. And um, I bought a brand new Bible while I was there, and before this, the retreat started, the ribbon in the, in the Bible, the bookmark, when I opened it, it was open to the very first page of Jonah. Mm. And so I, I said, wow, okay, that's cool, you know, I, I picked a good book. Um, I don't know if that was really God or whatever, but <laughs> um, it was cool. And, um, but the speaking went really well, um, just a lot of the teens... Just from the work that Pastor Sean had been doing with them and cultivating them. And um, they really responded to what the book of Jonah had to say. And uh, many of them throughout the weekend came up to me, some of them in tears, um, just saying how much, how glad they were that I came. And uh, what, one kid came up to me and he shook my hand. He said, he said, you know, your words have really helped me this weekend. And uh, one of their leaders came up to me afterwards and said, he doesn't shake anybody's hand. He said, so you should take that as a compliment. <laughs> and um, at the end of the weekend, Pastor Sean gave all the teens a chance to uh, just publicly say what they had committed to after the weekend, and um, it was just amazing to see teen after teen just stand up and say, God did this in my life. God's doing this in my life. God God, helped me to break through this, you know. Um, I t- One girl stood up and said, you know, I've been holding a secret for years, and I told someone my secret, you know, for the first time ever, you know, because of this weekend, and so it was just really cool to see God do so many things in so many lives, and just to look at myself and say, wow, you know, how did I get to do this, and uh, it just really humbled me to think that God could still use me, even though I'm far from perfect, and uh, it was just a really, a really great opportunity, and I'm really thankful that it turned out really well.
0: Amen, amen. Thank you. That was really a special event for for, for uh, Terence as well as Sean, because you know um, Sean is Terence's mentor, and so that was a special thing for him as well. And uh, so we need to be thankful for that, Amen. And let's thank God for Terence and continue to pray for him and the tremendous work he's doing with our young people, Amen. Amen. Well, also tonight, just before we uh, get around the table is that several people are anticipating surgery this week. So I'd like to mention those names again and just have a brief time of prayer for these individuals. And if you know of anyone else that is going to uh, have surgery or something like that this year or tests, uh, please feel free to, uh, to say so. Uh, of course, we want to pray for Sister Weish. I don't know if there's anyone here any update. She was supposed to get some tests, a bone test. Uh, does anyone have any update on that yet? I'm not even sure she's had it. I know she was have it. So, uh, if no update, let's remember her as she goes through this test. Uh, We're thankful that so far they haven't found any, you know, broken bones or anything else like that. But she still has a lot of pain, and that's why they want to take this uh, test now with another specialist uh, on her bones to see if it's any problem there. Terence Antonio also is having uh, growth, and he's going to be having surgery for that. Terence has been having some real difficulties of late uh, medically, uh, so we need to remember him and his family. Remember little Ashley uh, Hall. This is Nancy's and Philip's little girl who's been having some problems for several months now and haven't been able to find out exactly what the cause is. They went to some specialists. They have didn't determine anything, sort of taking them to someone else this week. So please pray that they're able to get in and they'll be able to discover what the situation is, Ashley Hall. Jan Sawyer is having cataract surgery as well. I think it's on Thursday. So we need to remember Jan. And also, Rosie Fountain is also having cataract uh, surgery. Uh, remember her. Um, and I mentioned Teresa Lee i sure most of you, or some of you, know that this is Rosie Roberts' sister, very close friend to Yuna Higgs, Yuna Ke- uh, Carey. Sorry, Yuna Carey. Uh, so please pray for her. She's having surgery on Wednesday. Okay, anyone else you'd like to mention before we go to this time? And I'm going to ask a few of the brethren, uh, sisters as well, to pray very briefly for these individuals. Uh, that I've mentioned, and just pray very specifically for these individuals, for God's healing hand to rest upon them. Anyone else you'd like to mention? Yes, Sister Robert? Everett Bain? Debbie Bain had surgery, so we're praying for recuperation. Okay, Debbie, remember Debbie Bain, too. I'll go over the names again. And uh, just mention now, if you get up to pray, please you don't have to pray for all of them yourself. Leave somebody with somebody else uh, to pray. I mean, pray as the Lord leads, but, you know. Uh, anyone else like to mention? The names again. Uh, Terrence Antonio, Rosie um, Fountain, Sister Wish, Jan Sawyer, Ashley Hall, uh, Teresa Lee. And slip me in this someplace as well. I've been having little so please pray for that as well. Anyone else? Charlie. Who's that? Okay, Basil, cousin of um, Charlie, who's already had the surgery, recuperating at ho- uh, home. Let's pray for healing. All right, who will lead, please? Let's uh, pray for these individuals as the Lord uh, touches your heart. Who will Father, we remember also Pastor Albrecht this evening who is not feeling well. We ask that you might strengthen him this evening and touch his body,
1: invigorate him again,
0: we pray. We pray that he might uh, be able to be strong again as he, as he heads into this week of ministry. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the fact that you are the great healer who responds to our prayer and the prayer of the faithful avails much. And we trust you now to bring healing to those for whom we prayed. And all of God's people said, Amen. Now, this morning we talked about evangelism as being an act of worship, as being a lifestyle. Now, as amazing as it might seem, because it seems so clear in the scripture, there's not too many who focus on that truth. That evangelism is actually an act of worship. Paul brings that out very clearly in his ministry in Romans chapter 15. Where he sees that his ministering to the Gentiles, he sees himself as a priest. And as he ministers and brings people to a knowledge of Christ, he offers them to him as a spiritual sacrifice. I think that's a beautiful picture of what it means to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And also it underlines the fact that evangelism is a lifestyle. It's not just methods we use or things we do. It's the way we live. It's an expression of our life to God. And we, it's, that, that's an important truth to me, you see. And what I want to do uh, this evening is to validate that from Scripture by giving you an example from Scripture to show that when believers behave the way they're supposed to, it brings conviction upon the unsaved. That was true in the life of Jesus Christ. That is what is meant in that scripture when it says that when the Holy Spirit comes he will convict the world of, of uh, sin. Um, what will he convict the world of? Righteousness and judgment to come. Convict the world of righteousness, Jesus says, because I have gone, I'm no longer with you. See, this, the idea is that Jesus' presence here was a demonstration of righteousness. Many he confronted people with that, there was a sense of recognition on their part they had fallen short of God's mark for them God's glory in their life and that's the same way we are supposed to live we all live in such a way that our lifestyle our lifestyle speaks to the unsaved you see our honesty, our integrity our righteousness, our holiness convictions those things should uh, speak to the unsaved. That's not only true individually, however, it's also true corporately. The way we behave when we gather together is designed by God to speak to the unsaved. Let me read you a passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, this is a very uh, um, controversial passage of scripture, of course, very, uh, causes a lot of conflict at times when we read it very casually, and not carefully. Uh, it is actually designed by God to bring peace and tranquility within the church. But unfortunately, we have used it today just to do the opposite, to bring chaos and confusion. Paul is addressing the Corinthians concerning prophesying and speaking in languages, other languages, in the church. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 14. I'll begin at verse 24 context. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Now, let me say something. There's one thing that we as people of God need today. We really need mature thinking about this. In the law it is written, By men of strange tongues and by lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me. Now notice, Paul is quoting this scripture as a basis for what he's about to say concerning tongues. He says, I have already prophesied that I'm going to speak to the people in tongues that they will not understand, but still they wouldn't listen. Now notice that they will not listen in spite of the tongue speaking. They will not listen. Now, notice verse 22. So then, tongues are for a sign. Now, I always say God does not base signs. When God gives a sign, he means for it to be observed. And in the context, tongues are a sign of judgment. People who rebel against him. Notice, tongues are for a sign. Now, notice carefully now, not to those who believe but to unbelievers. Now, right away, that means if tongues were sign for unbelievers, then to whom should tongues be spoken? Unbelievers. Isn't that right? See, that's why he goes on to say that in the church, tongues shouldn't be spoken unless there's an interpreter. Because when the tongues are interpreted in the church, it then turns into prophecy for the edification of God's people. But when tongues are spoken outside in the unsaved, it isn't the saved who understands it. It's the unsaved. You don't need an interpreter because the unsaved person is the one who will understand the tongue. That's the sign that God is speaking to them. You understand? That's the same thing that happens in Acts chapter 2. It's very clear if you just read the text. Now notice. So then tongues are for sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. See, prophecy is that which edifies. And you can only be edified if you understand what is being said. Simple as that, you see. And Paul teaches us in chapter that the major purpose for the gathering together of God's people is what? Edification, not evangelization. The whole chapter—that's all it talks. Edification, edification, edification. That's the purpose for God's people gathering together. Edification. Now notice he goes on. Therefore, he's laid down the ground rules now. If the whole church assembles together, and every one speak in tongues. The implication is you're speaking in another language and there's no interpretation. Try to picture that for a moment. Everybody in here speaking something different out loud at once. How would that sound? Would you be able to be edified by that? It's Chaotic. Believe it or not, that's what was happening here. He goes on. If all the church assembled together, and all by the way, my message tonight has not, is really not on tongues, but this is the context. You've got to understand it. An ungifted man or unbeliever enters. Now, an ungifted person here is a person who doesn't believe Christ. unregenerate, is unsaved. Now, notice what he says. If he enters. So, the implication is that when God's people gathered together, not too many unsaved people came, to get to, came there. In fact, the scripture said, you know how things were going on in the church where people were falling down dead when they lied and they didn't give the offering what they supposed to give offering? They died. And the scripture says people, what? Were afraid. They stayed away from the church. They stayed away. So for unsaved person to come into the assembly of God's people to worship was an odd thing. It wasn't the usual thing. But he says, if it happened, now notice, an ungifted man or unbeliever enters... Will they not say that you are mad? Sure they'll say that. You're crazy. That's, that's logical. Bahamians should probably say something else. But it'd be, you know, something. you crazy, man. you mad. You fool. 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God. Declaring that God is certainly among you. Now, Why? Because God's people are doing things within the assembly in God's way. Then God's people... Do things the way God tells us to do it. It speaks, convicts the unsaved just by the fact that we're doing it. It goes on to say, because God is not a God of what? Confusion, but a God of order. And when God's people order themselves according to the directives and the directions of the Word of God, that in itself is an evangelistic tool, if you please. It is used by God. To speak to people when God's people behave the way he has instructed them to do. And that's a principle you can see throughout Scripture. When you go, for instance, to the book of Titus, you'll see that. It talks about adorning the gospel of God. How? When young men behave the way that God tells them to behave, When young women behave the way God tells them to behave, when old men behave the way God tells them to behave, when old women behave the way God tells them to say, what are we doing? We will adorn the gospel. We will dress up the gospel. We will make, now this is hard to believe, we will make the gospel look good. See, unfortunately today, the way many Christians behave, even in worship and in the personal lives, we make the gospel look bad. Nobody wants anything to do with it. And so, rather than attracting people to Christ, we do the same thing that the rebellious Jews did. They rebelled, they they repulsed people away from Jesus Christ. What I'm saying to you is here, a lifestyle is an evangelistic tool, our worship is a means of winning people to Christ. Let me give you one more example. Tonight, we've come to observe the Lord's table. And here's the passage of Scripture we always read. We normally, you just turn, flip over the first Corinthians 11. First Corinthians 11. Listen to Paul now, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, and beloved, please let us get a hold of how wonderful this. Is. This is a beautiful, beautiful, initiated by Jesus Christ Himself. It means He Himself is designed for us to focus on His work, on His death, His perfect sacrifice. So, never regardless, it's simply an add-on to the Christian service or Christian worship. Do this in remembrance of me. Notice now. For as often as you eat this bread, well, I guess, I think I left out 25. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And verse, verse 26? For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you what? Proclaim what? The Lord's death until he comes. In other words, what are we doing? We are preaching the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way that gospel is preached, that word proclaim, that's exactly what it means. To proclaim, to make known to make clear and the only way the gospel is preached through the Lord's Supper is when we do it the way he has prescribed. And when we do it that way, we are proclaiming the gospel. That's why, you see, when we enter into this, we must enter into it sincerely. We must enter into it with a sense of the deep, deep sacrifice, the great sacrifice. Deep love that Jesus manifested when he died on the cross for us. We must go with hearts that are attuned to that sacrifice. And the fact that it is the finished work. Oh yes, we remember his suffering for us. But we also remember that the death that we are proclaiming is finished. He is no longer on the cross. He isn't dying. This isn't a mass. This is a celebration of a finished transaction the work is done at the end of the age he appeared and he put away sin by the sacrifice for himself once and for all it's done that's what we celebrate his death not his dying so although we come in and we look at it and we are touched emotionally with his suffering oh do not only linger on his suffering linger on his victory because he did not remain in the grave he arose and when we do this the way God has prescribed for us to do, we are proclaiming the gospel. This is one of the most powerful tools for evangelism we can ever find. Observing the Lord's Supper in the way that He has prescribed. How has He prescribed it? He's just telling us about taking the, the bread. And whenever I say this, I feel a little guilt. You know, I do. Because I really doubted that he had in mind something like this. <laughs> I'm not trying to make fun of mine. I think we've lost something when we took away the meal aspect of the Lord's Supper and we took away the loaf itself. I really do. Actually, this, and again, I'm not trying to be critical here, I'm just trying to be factual. These little tokens, are really a carryover from Roman Catholicism and the serving of the Mass. We still have the death cloth of Roman Catholicism. This is not the only one, by the way. We've got a lot of others. We just haven't. See, we, that's why really we're not critical in our thinking. You see? But does that take away? No, not if our heart's are in the right place and we know what we're doing and we know why we're doing it. All right? So I don't mean that to be critical at all. but Sometimes we have to think about these things from a biblical perspective. You see, and Notice what he says. How are we to do this in a way that will really be a way of proclaiming his death? He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We preach the gospel of Christ until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread who drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. You see, if we come in an unworthy manner, we're not coming in the way he has ordained. And so the gospel will not be able to be proclaimed in its power and the fullness that he desires. We have to come with hearts that are cleansed by his blood. We must come with attitudes that are right with our fellow men. Because this passage teaches not only about the body of Jesus Christ, his, his own body, but the body of Christ of believers as well. We must be in one accord. And what he's saying is here, when we come then before, or when we come to observe this supper in the way he has instructed, we are proclaiming in a powerful way the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Anyone who's unsaved, who's walked in here, and they see our sincerity of our hearts and our devotedness to Jesus Christ and our love for Him, they could be convicted of this sin. Because we're doing things decently and in order and in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's evangelism. That's an expression of our worship. Get a hold of that. Remember that even now as we come to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Please bow with me. I'll take a few moments of quiet reflection. The word is very clear. We need to come with examined hearts. It simply means that we ask the Spirit even as we do every Lord's Day, to search us, to bring to mind any sin that may prevent us from eating and drinking in a worthy manner. Any attitude, any action, this is a time to confess it before God. And remember, no matter what it may be, God will forgive. There's no reason why anyone here should not observe this feast tonight. Even if you, at this point, have never received Jesus Christ as Savior, right now, you can acknowledge that you're a sinner, that Jesus Christ died in your place, and God raised him from the dead to validate that fact. And you place your faith in him tonight. You can qualify to participate. Take a few moments then. to Allow the Spirit of God to prepare you to participate in this feast tonight. ask those who are serving to please come forward at this time. I encourage you to remain in an attitude of worship as we are into led into this time of worship.